maybe it's not a limb, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nine times out of ten, um, Herb liked to regale the their efforts and and all the long hours and sacrifices that they had to put in to get something done, even though you would look at it and go, well, that should have only taken like an hour. You've had it for two weeks and you've worked overtime every day for two weeks to get this one hour project done. But of course, as, as Herb is describing this, they're regaling all of the difficulties and, you know, it's almost an epic and there needs to be someone behind them playing a, you know, a, a flute or, you know, harpsichord or something <laughs> like some medieval inn yeah. where they're regaling their efforts. Um, right. So I'm going to guess that's, that's a thing with, uh, with uh, Herb. Yes, it was. He did that a lot. So, JT, we've had a bunch of really excellent guests and good topics of late, and I've really enjoyed them, but something else has kind of been on my mind. Okay. There's been some turmoil up at work, some some shifting of the guard, some people that have left, other people that have joined, and it brought to mind some past experiences with some people that I did not care for as coworkers. We'll just put it politely that way. Okay. Oh, actually, no, let's be honest. They were imposters. They have no idea what they were doing. And I don't say that to be mean. It's just kind of true. You know, I bet a lot of people have this experience if they develop professionally or, or DevOps or sysadmin or anything. There's always these people, not always, most of the time there's these people that just, I don't know why they're there. I don't know how they got there. They don't really know what the heck they're doing. Everything they touch turns to crap. Crap Midas maybe is a good way to put it. So I keep wondering to myself, why is this person here? What have they done to be here? And how come I'm always cleaning up after them and no one else seems to notice this? So might uh, regale with some tales of a former coworker named, uh, let's call him Fred. Fred, that's a nice neutral term. Yeah. I, okay. So I know people named Fred. So let's not use Fred because I don't want Fred no. to eventually hear this and then go, oh, they're talking about me. No. Okay. Can we just put a caveat in? We're not talking about a specific Fred. We're talking about a, a mythical Fred that may or may not exist and is definitely not your friend. I don't know. Maybe the Fred you know is exactly like this and he would feel very self-conscious about it. Is he? Uh, I don't I don't know. I haven't worked with him in that regard. So okay. I, I, I don't know. Well, suggest a name then. Um, we do need a label. Okay, how about a name that probably nobody has named now these days? Like okay. Herbert. 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 Okay. Let's try that on for size and see how Herbert goes. Okay. Well, if if poor... Herbert doesn't work out, we can fire Herbert and then we can bring Fred on. Well, no, uh, Herbert would never get fired, unfortunately. Uh, maybe it's just where, how he lands or the, the jobs he picks. But uh, see, the, the, the job I was working with Herbert, the boss was not really willing to make any changes, even though it was, it was pretty obvious to me and to another team member that uh, Herbert was a boat anchor. I was quite happy when Herbert put in his two weeks notice because it was an addition by subtraction kind of thing. Like, yes, this person finally... The things he touches will no longer break, and we now have an opportunity to dig out from underneath the code that he has written, which was really quite interesting, bash, and some Ansible, uh, not great quality Ansible. A lot of it was just like taking the ugly bash and then wrapping it in a command step and calling that Ansible. And that's not really what Ansible's for. It's a way to do it, but um, that's not really what it's designed for. Right, yeah. So, Herbert. Poor fool. Herbert, um, I think originally was an IT operations kind of person. Okay. And um, the apocryphal story I got was that there was one open IT position and both Herbert and another coworker of mine applied for and passed through all the interviews and everything. And they were both very qualified for this position. So they decided they wanted to take both of them. And so I think Herbert probably had expressed an interest in the interview or something early on that Herbert actually wanted to move into DevOps. He said, oh, great, we'll have a DevOps person. So they assigned Herbert to DevOps. Only Herbert didn't have a background in DevOps. You can see where this is going. Mm -hmm. So under Herbert's ministrations, DevOps was done, and I put these in big, heavy air quotes. Things like um, scripts that were written that you have to edit the script every time you invoke it because it doesn't know how to accept an argument. So you can never commit the script to code 
Oh, Herbert never committed code. We would store it uh, on the file server. Oh, yeah, he was also... Oh, gosh, this is, this is going to be a rabbit trail. I apologize in advance, listeners. This is just... It's horrid how deep this goes. So Herbert would log into the central file server, and that's where he would run his automation from. And he ran at his root, and he expected every system he was communicating with that he could log into as root and also as the typical user that our software was running as without a password. So you could just traverse side to side between systems like it was no big deal. And all of his automation expected this. So you can imagine how that went when we started trying to enforce some security and everything broke. Oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. So we had to pull back on this security. So Herbert is writing these scripts that can't be committed, that doesn't, that aren't committed. And so he just likes to copy them. He'll have a one uh, for this particular version of our software or something. And then the next version had a minor change. So he'd just copy the script and tag on a different tag on the end of it. So it's two different files, neither of which are committed to code, neither of which are being reviewed by anybody else. And uh, to the outside, it's not really clear which one you're supposed to run. It's not obvious, especially when you start getting five, six, seven different incarnations of this same script. So Herbert's idea was to number them. But he didn't quite understand what we asked him to do. He numbered all of the same scripts that were from the same uh, one base script. I guess I call it a tree. They all had the same number. So I was like, that wasn't what we asked you to do. But okay, we appreciate the effort. Thank you. Uh, how about you write some documentation? No, 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 no. Herbert, um, Herbert didn't write documentation. In fact, I didn't know what Herbert was doing most of the time. And um, I mean, I'm not the manager of the team. It's not technically my responsibility, but at the same time, as, as team members, we kind of work together and coordinate on these things. We have a lot of systems to maintain. We had something like 600 systems, I think, something like that. Uh, it was a lot. And uh, under modern DevOps auspices with uh, complete, complete, complete command and control and kind of everything sharded from the same template and operating the same way, lots of homogeneity, you could do that with one or two people. That it's, I don't want to say it's trivial, but it's pretty easy in the modern era. When all of your systems are slightly different because they were cloned and then edited and then cloned and then something else was edited on this one, but it wasn't gone back to the first one and none of it was done with automation, you have no idea what you're dealing with. So Herbert has all these scripts. They're not committed. He doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. He doesn't write anything down. Trying to get a hold of him is nigh impossible. He spends almost all of his time offline or do not disturb somehow. I don't know it's possible. And my boss seemed completely unfazed by this, or maybe he was intimidated. I don't know. It was kind of an interesting situation. So I could go and rant for a long time about Herbert, and I'm sure something else will come up later on. But I kind of want to stop there and just illustrate the point that I considered Herbert an imposter in the position he was in. Now, I think he was well suited or somewhat suited for the IT position he supposedly interviewed for. But, um, he was not qualified for the position he was in. And it was only because no one else had any idea what DevOps meant or how it worked that Herbert was able to, quote unquote, thrive in the situation. But as happens, as you start automating things, you realize, oh gosh, we have a lot more to do than we originally anticipated. They needed to hire a second person, and that's where I entered the picture. So in the interview, I was kind of puzzling over I met with uh, Herbert for 30 minutes, and I was kind of puzzling over some of the questions he had posed. Didn't really make much sense. But I said, okay, so maybe he's just trying to throw me off or, or see where my knowledge is. It's fine. So I was able to answer a lot of those questions just fine, and he seemed fine with it. Um, seemed even excited to have someone else to come join him on the team. I think that excitement rapidly turned to something else when I joined the team, and I was rather horrified by the state of things. I've been doing. I've been doing DevOps before the term was popular. Back in the early days, shaking that cane there, well, we used to call it sysadmin work and you scripted things because you didn't have time to do it otherwise. That was just part of the job. So I've been doing this a long time. I have a lot of background and knowledge in all these things. And I come into a situation where there's not really any Dev DevOps going on. Not really any development going on. And the operations are terrible. And so... I tried to be polite, but also point out things. I started documenting what I saw and making a list of things like, well, we're going to need to tackle this. We're going to need to tackle that. Oh, this same company did not know how DNS worked, or maybe Herbert didn't know how DNS worked. And there was... um. Well, to be fair, 
Jeff. Does anyone really know how DNS works? Well, yeah, it's not that complicated of a protocol once you dive in. It, it just, you gotta write it down effectively. Yeah. I think if, if people that don't understand DNS just take an example and write it down, the simple act of writing it down and walking through the steps will help it click like that. Most people, I mean, there's always going to be the ones that uh, it just doesn't make sense to them and that'll have to be that. But I think DNS is understandable, but you don't have to understand DNS to know you're supposed to have one source of truth, one single source of truth. And that is the authoritative owner or presenter, whatever the right word is, of the domain. Well, they had two and a half. The half is a bit of an interesting thing. So they were in the middle transition from one service to another. So they had two, I call it three sources of truth for DNS, and none of them agreed. And then there was also, we had an on-prem cloud VMware. And so you could export the list of VMs and that didn't match up with DNS records either. So you actually had four sources of potential host names and they just didn't, they didn't match at all. It was Uh maddening. And there's only so much you can do when you're doing automation. You need, you need this regularity. You need this homogeneity to be able to address the fleet, to be able to uh, have an understanding of when I, when I give this command against this group of hosts, it's going to reach all of them. Because if you miss one, you have to go back and do it by hand, which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So you spend a lot of time building a, a firm foundation and it starts with DNS. So what's the first thing I try to tackle? DNS. And it was like, well, what are you doing there? I'm like, um, this needs to be fixed. It's kind of horrifying. I probably shouldn't have said the word horrifying, but it's the truth. But it ruffled some feathers the wrong way. So, meanwhile, Herbert, who doesn't actually know how a lot of this stuff works, is kind of now feeling a little defensive. And I wasn't, like, blaming Herbert. I didn't know how much he had to contribute or had how much he had to do with any of this. Didn't care. I don't care how it happened. I just, what's our remediation steps? Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Let's get it a task assigned to it or an epic, probably. Get it organized. Get it get to uh, prioritize. That seems straightforward. We don't need to know how it happened so much. Let's just fix it. And then we can move on. It took two years. It took two years to fix it. I don't know how that's possible. But uh, some contribution to why it took so long was Herbert. So all that is to say, I considered Herbert an imposter. And I wasn't quite sure how to handle it. Okay, I would... From what you've said, Mm -hmm. I would kind of argue the term imposter. Okay. This, to me, doesn't fall under imposter. This would fall... They're similar, but there's... I'm splitting a hair very specifically. This, to me, falls in as being a fraud. Okay. Which is is much... They're similar, but different. There Mm -hmm. is... When you're an imposter... I know a lot of people will get into imposter syndrome just generally later. Um, mm-hmm. Probably another episode. But probably there's not a negative intent. Okay. Whereas with Herb, it sounds like Herb knew they were in over their head. And instead... Herb, we've shortened his name now? Yeah, Herb. Herb. Yeah, it's just Herb now. Um, okay, I'm trying to Herb. get on a, you know, a, friendly, a friendly basis with Herb. Oh, okay. Um, it sounds like... Uh, they knew they didn't know what they were doing. And instead of trying to fix that, I mean, you mentioned it took two years, so there was plenty of time there. Mm-hmm. Instead of fixing it, it was just, now nah, let's just keep snowballing everybody and let's keep this thing mm-hmm. going. Which is why I, I'm kind of saying I want to lean that more towards being a fraud. Okay. Not just uh, you feel mm-hmm. like you're not up to it, but you're, yeah, you're close. You're shining everybody on about it. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a little uncomfortable with the word, but it, it does. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. And I don't I don't like saying that, but uh, it was kind of readily obvious. And I honestly, I, to reiterate, the only reason that Herb was able to do what he was doing, because no one else had any idea what he was doing. And so he lived in this little niche where he could say something was so and twiddle his fingers and voila, it was so. And everybody else was like, okay, great. Herb took care of it. Uh-huh. That's great. What's the next thing? So... If there had been anybody else, especially someone in like a position of authority, who actually took a look at what Herb was doing, then it would be readily obvious. Okay. But because no one did. So that then gets into another episode that we're going to have to do. And actually, we've teased it before, which is about management issues. 
Oh, yes. Um, because, yeah, if there's no auditing about what's actually going on, what's actually being done, it's really easy to look busy and spend. A, you can spend all your time looking busy and actually accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if the person above them doesn't know any better themselves, they, they're not going to know that this person is just blowing smoke constantly. Mm-hmm. And if the person, if, if Herb is really friendly, always going around chatting with people, trying to be, you know, in tight with everybody, you're not going to think that this person is manipulating me so that I think they're actually competent. You're going to think, oh, well, they're just friendly and they know what they're doing because as, as the manager doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, Herb was quite social. Mm-hmm. I can remember a couple of times, like uh, we were planning for a Christmas party. It was long before COVID when we actually had Christmas parties. Uh, uh, I don't know why, but he was on the social something to get the party arranged and then get it decorated. And meanwhile, we're under the crunch to get something major delivered. And I'm like, where's Herb? Uh, isn't he supposed to be doing these things? Well, he's off decorating for the party. What? Yeah. Yeah. So he was exceedingly social. Like he built little clicks mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was uh, real social also with the VP that helped a lot too. Yeah. And I'm going to, so, I'm going to, Maybe it's not a limb, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nine times out of ten, um, Herb liked to regale the their efforts and, and all the long hours and sacrifices that they had to put in to get something done, even though you would look at it and go, well, that should have only taken like an hour. You've had it for two weeks and you've worked overtime every day for two weeks to get this one hour project done. But of course... As, as Herb is describing this, they're regaling all of the difficulties and, you know, it's almost an epic and there needs to be someone behind them playing a, you know, a, a flute or, you know, harpsichord or something <laughs> like some medieval inn yeah. where they're regaling their efforts. Um, right. So I'm going to guess that's that's a thing with, uh, with uh, Herb. Yes, it was. Um, he did that a lot. And also just, you know, the the act of being busy, like always being kind of like a middleman. Not actually owning mm-hmm. anything, but being like the intergo between other people that do stuff. So that mm-hmm. not only are you constantly seen doing stuff and running around and all that, but then you're kind of like, well, they must be irreplaceable because they're how all these, all these other people are able to get their stuff done because they're, they're doing the networking and connecting and making sure everybody's on the same page, yada, yada. Okay, so now I'm getting a little bit goosebumps. Do you know Herb? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I know Herb. That's, that's poor Herb. That's exactly what he did. He kind of lived in the the structures between teams. And I, I this happened several times. I actually caught him doing this where he would tell one team he was working on something for team B. And then when, when team A, he would tell team A about team B. And then he would tell team B about team A. And then I don't know what the hell he was doing with his time. Well, you know? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess claiming like when he's talking to team A and saying, Yeah, this is what well, this is what I'm working on for team B. Actually, mm-hmm. someone else on team B is doing that. And then when they're talking to team B. They're telling them, oh, yeah, I'm doing this thing for Team A when actually it's someone else on Team A doing it. Right. So then each team yeah. sees the other things getting done and goes, oh, well, yeah, look, they're busy. They're getting all this stuff done. Yeah. In that context, it's, it's difficult for me to, def- to defend against the word fraud. That's, that's very fraudulent. And that's knowing, knowingly defrauding people of the effort you put in, maybe is a good way to put it. And or, or lack of effort of st- because they're not doing right. anything. They're just having other people do it and taking the credit and taking the yeah. paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. So we clashed some early on. So I was hired and Herb, I think at the time had been working for the company 18 months, okay. something like that. So I was new guy, but I had lots of experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I was you know, senior level. So I, I think we could safely say Herb was not senior level. And so I think just after realizing that I was actually trained in this background, Herb immediately got started getting defensive on a lot of stuff. One thing I noticed he immediately stopped doing was sharing notes. Mm-hmm. So he took a lot of notes, some notes, not very good, mostly just readable to him. He would store them in Word docs on his computer. We had Confluence and we have repositories. Just stick it in a text file and commit it somewhere. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways to confer notes, but he would only store them on his computer in Word docs. Right. Well, that's, that's not wanting oversight, not wanting someone else to look at it because somebody else can then look at those and go, oh no, that's the wrong way to do this. You need to do it this way. Or mm-hmm. the fact that they would be taking notes on how to do something, which anyone in that position should know how to do. Like if somebody is working in DevOps, mm-hmm. they should not need 
for example, they should not need notes on how to, let's say, make an SSH connection or how to SCP a file between two systems or how to rsync. Or, those things should be pretty well understood. Maybe they need to look up every once in a while to see which flag they need for some particular thing. But mm-hmm. in general, they should have that in their head. They shouldn't need to put that into a document that they save on their computer. Right. And even if they don't know it, they have the internet. They could just search for it again. But I'm guessing that might be one reason why is because if they were to then show all the notes that they had, it would then show why does this person doc you know, making notes on super trivial stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be like an auto mechanic that didn't know how to operate a crescent wrench. Like, really? Okay, maybe you've only ever touched like fixed wrenches or mm-hmm. open-ended wrenches before. That's unlikely, but it's kind of possible, but not really. At some point in your life, if you're handy or you're a mechanic of some kind, you'll have picked up a crescent wrench and understood probably intuitively how to use it. I twist this thing, it opens and closes. Great. Now let's go close it on the right bolt and or nut and move it. That seems obvious to me. So when someone doesn't know how to operate a wrench and they claim they're a mechanic, I'm like, uh, no, I can safely say you're not a mechanic. Well, can't safely say, but I'm going to say, I'm going to declare, you're not a mechanic, I'm not going to let you touch my car. So, imagine if you get hired to work alongside this mechanic and uh, so I think, all they're doing all day long is okay, messing so up cars. I think for the analogy, you, saying wrench is a little, a little unfair because like, there's only one way to use a wrench. And like, okay. you know, six-year-olds can figure that out. So I think the better analogy would be, say, somebody brings a car in and they need to change the brakes. Because while it's okay. always different every time, it's pretty much also the same. It's the same process. You're going to take the wheel off. Same process. You're going to disconnect the caliper. You're going to take the pads out. You're going to expand the caliper back out. You're going to do all this stuff. It's going to be different for every car, but the process is going to be basically the same. You're just going to need to tweak some things. But if that mechanic mm-hmm. then... Car came in, it's like, okay, we need to change the brakes. And they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me go get the service manual for this Ford F-150. Because I just changed the brakes on a Ford Ranger, but now I need to know how to do it on a Ford F-150. Let me, let me go get the documentation for that. Like, then you would go, uh, hold up, Chief. Um, I think that's kind of a fairer analogy. Yeah, that actually, side note, that actually kind of happened to me this week. I think I shared with you about that. I dropped my F-150 off on Wednesday to get brakes and oil change done. Dropped it off at the dealership. And it took them two and a half days to get the brakes done and the oil change done. And I was getting to the point where I was about ready to call the police and report my truck stolen. I was like, what the heck are they doing with it? Did they joyride in it and crash it somehow? Did they break apart while they were down there taking off a wheel? That's unlikely to happen. There's, you would expect them to just have all kinds of parts lying around, but I don't know what happened. Anyway, this side note, but uh, so I'm a little tender on F-150 and brakes topics. But uh, I, I must have shared that with you because you you're grinning you at did. me right yeah. now. Okay. All right. So that's, thank you for that. Really. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yes, I agree with you and completely. I would, I would look at someone who wanted to go look at the service manual with some great suspicion because I, I can understand if you've worked on Fords and generally the Fords brakes are all roughly this way. Uh-huh. And then someone brings in a Mercedes. I would expect the procedure to be the same, but there's Mercedes. They, the Germans engineer things differently, and so maybe there's something different I need to know. But if it's another Ford, or it's like a, right. a Chevy, and you're going to look at service manual, I'm like, huh. Yeah, I, I don't think you need that. Let's just take the wheels off and look at it first. Yeah, it'd be like... Before I, you go off and order the menu. I would compare this to, you know, if you're using a, a Linux system, and then you hop mm-hmm. over because you also have, say, you have an OpenBSD system that's running as a firewall or something, okay? It's basically the same. But yet it's also different. So you're going to need to, okay, is there any changes in how I need to throw flags for this binary? Like that, yes, you might need to look it up. But Mm -hmm. realistically, it's a lot, it's very similar. So I'm curious, having having declared Herb or or described, this is only, I won't say scratch on the surface. There's a lot more depth that I could go into and maybe uh, listeners that are interested, I can go tell some tales. But I think for for the benefit of this, particular episode we can just kind of close it up there and say we we pretty sure established that herb was a fraud and now i'm curious about what can i do if i'm in that situation again to take care of herb i don't mean like take care of herb but i mean like i just made the the choking motion or something so sorry you couldn't see that listeners i mean like i don't want people to get fired but neither do i want them 
especially the stuff that I'm working on, if like we're working in the same space, don't mess stuff up. Don't make it worse. If, if you're going to make things worse, don't touch it. Or let's talk together and we'll do it together so that things are only neutral. They never get worse. They only get better. Now, there's a natural bit rot and decay that comes with systems and fleets and such. I get it. But every time someone touches something, ideally the system improves. So I'm not quite sure what to do the next time I run into a herb. What do you think? Okay, so uh, this depends greatly on the intentions and motivations of herb. Okay. If herb is just, let's say, incompetent. Let's say they have failed upwards to the level where they don't know how to do anything. Okay. <laughs> but a pin yeah. in that for the management episode. Um, okay. So let's say that's the case. And Herb doesn't have malicious intent. Just Herb generally can't bang two rocks together to do what they need to do for the job. <laughs> in that situation, yeah. you're going to treat that differently than if you know Herb is being fraudulent. Because if somebody just can't do it, then you can go, hey, look, let's, let's double team this. Let's work together on this. Let's walk through it. Because, you know, we're, we're both in here messing with this, whatever, the system. And apparently what we're doing is kind of clashing. So let's just sit down together and let's work through it together. And then you can kind of like educate a little while you're doing that. If someone okay. is just doesn't know and has any level of I want to learn this, they're going to be willing because they can see that as, oh, now I can actually pick up the information that I need to know that I don't know. So. Mm -hmm. People that have actual imposter syndrome are usually going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. Walk me, walk me through what you're doing. Because that's then the opportunity for them to learn so then they don't feel as much like they are an imposter. That's a good point, um, yes. However, on the flip side of that, if the person is knowingly snowballing everybody and is a fraud, then they're not going to be down with that. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is, if, if somebody's like that, you're... I, the only thing I can say is you're going to have to just put it, put them on front street, put it out there mm -hmm. in a meeting, ask them the most obvious inane question. And then when they give you an absolutely BS answer, be like, like you know, that answer does not, like, what you just said does not answer the question or mm -hmm. that's absolutely not how that would work. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. I can show you how we're doing it on our system or, or whatever. Um, that's good. Yep. Because, there's going to be confrontation. You yeah, just have I to mean, body up to I it. understand you don't want to get somebody fired. I get it. Yeah. However, if somebody is incompetent, there's the possibility of let's, maybe they need to re retraining. Maybe there's mm -hmm. a better spot for them. But when somebody has gotten mm -hmm. to the point of being fraudulent, you can't then, if you approach them with consideration of, I'm trying to find a better position for you, they're probably not going to be open for that. Because again, they already know yeah. that they've been snowballing people for a year or two years. And after mm -hmm. that period of time, they can't come clean about it. They kind of just mm -hmm. have to keep digging deeper and digging deeper because if they do ever come clean, they're basically admitting, yeah, I've been blowing smoke up your guys' asses for the last two years. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. not really a good thing for if you hope to continue your employment there. That's a good point. Yeah. So as, as, a, as a fraudulent herb, let's say, as a fraudulent the only herb situation for them is they have to leave. Yeah. They have to leave whether voluntarily or involuntarily. So you mm -hmm. can go the voluntary route where okay. you make things as difficult on them as you can. Um, you know, if you're in a meeting, you will, okay, we've got this project that we've got to do in the next two weeks. I'm going to take care of A, B, C, and D. Can you handle E? And E is mm -hmm. minimal enough that there's definitely plenty of time that they should get it done, mm -hmm. but is difficult enough that you know that they don't know how to do it. So then at the end of that two weeks, when you go back to the meeting, it's like, well, A, B, and C, and D are done. How's E? And, oh, well, it's not mm -hmm. done yet. Okay, well, what progress is there? Where are you in it? Like, it, it, it's a five-step process. Mm -hmm. yeah. What has gotten done? Um, and just not uh, do it in an attacking way, but just like the, mm -hmm. I'm the person that needs to, you know, help you do this, or, you know, we're a team here. I got to help. How do I help? Like, what are you having mm -hmm. problems on? And just kind of push that little by little. Um, and, you know, again, yeah. because what you want to do is you want the manager who clearly doesn't know anything in this situation mm -hmm. to then see, hold on a second over periods of time. Why is it? This person is never getting what they need to get done because mm -hmm. we've agreed in a meeting that they're going to do one task. They can't get the task mm -hmm. done. So the next time there's a, you know, a two week sprint or whatever, they get a, you know, assigned a certain amount and then they can't get it done. Now they may have excuses. You know. of, oh, I was doing all this other stuff. Well, you didn't agree to do that other stuff. 
you agreed to do this. Mm-hmm. I think actually that was happening right towards the end of Herb's time. Okay. That was a project we were both working on. Forced to, forced to collaborate, which I actually was looking forward to, because then finally the mystery and the hidden elements of everything that Herb was doing mm-hmm. would be exposed, which probably terrified him. And there was a very aggressive PM who was like, okay, here's our timeline, here's what needs to happen. And he wasn't really able to, wasn't really able to jump out mm-hmm. in front. So I think that's probably part of the end there. Once that fraud becomes unraveled, then there's nothing you can do except try and exit before everything is discovered. Right. And it's happened like three or four times in a row where Herb did not meet his timeline. So, yeah, I think that's probably what was going on. I didn't engineer the situation. Mm-hmm. I was maybe a, a helpful third party to help the situation along because I was trying to get all of my stuff done. And also pointing out things like, we can't do it this way, Herb. Like, we have to do it this way. Look, this, this is out of date. We can't be publishing a new system with software that is already end of life. Like, we have to move on to the next right. thing. So, yeah, I think that was a big contributor to why Herb decided to leave. And uh, I remember the manager being like, real, what are we going to do without Herb? And I had to gently tell him we would be better off. Yeah. He didn't really like that, but that was the truth. And I didn't really like go and slam her, but just, you know, Herb had already put in his two weeks, so it didn't matter. It's, it's he's on his way out to, to survive for another two weeks, and then we'll pick up the pieces after. So, thinking back, I, I tried to do some of this, but uh, I seem to recall that is when well, we had three or four products that we maintained at this company, mm-hmm. and we had been broken down like, okay, you're kind of responsible for that product, and I'm responsible for this product. The, the manager had divided us up. And I was supposed to be working with product B, but there was so much broken stuff in infrastructure, I couldn't even really work with product B. So I was like having to stop. Before I can do that, I have to go fix this. I have to go fix that. Product B's manager was getting kind of unhappy. So he actually asked me point blank one time, what is it that is preventing you from working on these tasks? And like all of the, I, I, I was honest, all the broken shit in the middle of our infrastructure that I can't run automation on it. Yeah. And so he's like, okay. I didn't really talk with him again. Shortly after that, I got swapped. And uh, Herb moved over to that product, and I got swapped onto the product that Herb had been working on. And that was a... It was a disaster, mm-hmm. but it slowly became less of a disaster. And over time, it's, you know, DevOps is iteration. Automation is just take a thing, iterate the one thing, iterate another thing, stick them together. Just keep iterating piece by piece by piece. And so over the span of a year to a year and a half, we got to this long, complicated by-hand process to do an upgrade in the field which used to take six hours is now 10 minutes or six minutes, depending on how fast the database server was moving. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, makes everybody happy. And I'm reasonably certain in declaring that Herb could never do that. Mm -hmm. Herb, in fact, was promoting the six hour process because it meant he could take his time and it was a big arduous thing. And we can't just upgrade casually because look how much effort it is. So when you got, you know, 80 appliances in the field you're maintaining and each one is its own little kingdom, that kind of adds up. Mm-hmm. So if you've got to do 80 upgrades and each one takes six hours, nobody wants to do that. But anyway, we swapped. And then it's like, at that point, the veil of secrecy dropped. And I had no idea what was going on over there. As far as I could tell, Herb worked for that other team. He didn't really come to our team meetings. Mm-hmm. He didn't uh, show up for stand-ups. And the manager seemed okay with that. He was just like, well, you know, he's getting his tasks from Team B's manager. And I remember thinking, what? What? You're this guy's manager, right? So what's going on here? But it was just, that's the way it was. And that happened for probably nine months to a year before things started kind of snowballing out of control there, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then came this new project we were working together that I was alluding to earlier, and I think that was the beginning of the end. So I think uh, Herb and I worked as coworkers for two weeks, and I put coworkers in air quotes here, because right. yeah, I wasn't really, I wasn't combative, but neither was I conducive in things that Herb would do. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think of what was I possibly doing to allow Herb to continue doing his stuff, right? It just, I'm sure there's a lot of second guessing that goes on because I'm really, I know I'm going to run into another Herb. There's a lot of them out there. I'm sure listeners are sitting here listening going, yeah, I know a guy like that. God, I hate that guy's guts, you know, that kind of thing. What's that old Dane Cook joke about 
Brian or Karen. He's got some names for people that everybody hates, but they keep them around anyway. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Everybody's got a Brian. Everybody's got a Karen. Actually, Karen's kind of blown up on the internet recently, hasn't yeah. it? But uh, I'm sure listeners have lots of examples of that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, the next time I meet her, I want to be like out in front. I'm not trying to be confrontational, but if confrontation happens, that's the way it is. Like the truth of the situation stands for itself. If there's nine different ways to do a thing, and Herb chooses to do it a tenth way that's much more inefficient, I, I guess I can say, well, yeah, that works, but these other nine ways are superior because. Uh-huh. Can we talk about how to use one of those ways? But I guess you, you have to collaborate with Herb to kind of guide him in a better direction. Uh-huh. And if Herb never wants to collaborate or is actively sabotaging collaboration because there's some of that going on in a lot of these situations that listeners have, and if you're actually frauding, then you're, you're trying to manage the situation. Oh, one of these things that fraud would, uh, Herb would do is he would get into a meeting, he would call a meeting about a thing that was kind of being discussed. He would get out in front, he would just call a meeting and get a whole bunch of people in a room and then would talk, speed talk for 30 minutes, making sure that no one else had any opportunity to respond. Like I would be in the meeting. And I was like trying to ask questions, but Herb would never respond to questions. So, uh, or find reasons to just not answer them all. Like, oh, I was, I was talking about something else, you know? And so you're in this meeting. We decided something in this meeting. Therefore, I just remember going, wow, that was kind of nifty. That was well handled by, by Herb. Uh, you know, looking back now, I guess I did conclude it was some fraud going on, but I couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I just followed away. So in a meeting like that, I guess you just kind of have to pop the bubble and say like, well, Herb, we got to stop and talk about this because, and it's going to be confrontation. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, the, the fraud is built around people don't like confrontation. My boss certainly didn't like confrontation. And it's just, you're going to have to confront the fraudster and you're probably going to have to do it in front of other people and probably going to be their friends because they have worked ahead of time to make sure that everybody's their friend mm-hmm. and probably to position you as somewhat of an enemy because you're the threat. Right. That certainly happened at this company. Herb had like this uh, group of people that he built. And um, they would uh, kind of go to lunch together and work together and they would always hang out together and it was like they were always defending each other. So, man, the more I look at this, the more it was very clear that it was fraudulent. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of upsetting in hindsight. Uh, it's, it's a while back, but it just seems like it's going to happen again and I'm trying to be prepared for when it happens the next mm-hmm. time. And I guess in corporate situations, you're much more likely to run into something like that. Yeah. So, at smaller companies, there's probably not enough room for Herb to really make it for very long because everybody has to wear multiple hats. And you have to be punching above your weight class on everything you do, so it seems like a smaller corp would have fewer Herbs. I'm sure there are some, but in a larger corporate environment, you can hide in the meetings and the, the spaces between teams kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, that's partly why... Generally, I like to work for smaller companies or consult with smaller companies because the, the BS factor is way down. We don't have enough people for there to be tons of BS. Right. So, but uh, don't always have a choice. You got to go to the job is, right? And especially in our business, the way to get a, promo- get a raise is to get a promotion or, ah, there's no promotions. Move to another company. Mm-hmm. So I just think uh, a lot of people are just going to have to hop. So Another thing that if you find yourself in this situation again is... Uh, like specifically in a meeting when they're saying that they're going to be doing something is request documentation on it. Because, Mm. so in my experiences, when people that are doing this fraud crap, um, they won't provide any documentation because whatever they do provide as a finished product is stuff they've just cobbled together from things they've copied and pasted. And they don't understand how Mm. it works or why it works or any of that. So they can't document it. Um, Mm. people that don't know what they're doing, but are trying to learn will usually have very extensive documentation that they've written of them working it out, which is Mm. basically 80% of the way there of having documentation. They just need to cut out the things that don't work. And then there you go. Um, because especially if you're going to be hopping around between teams, you can approach it of, you know, I might have to, to step into this later. I need to, to know what you've, what you've done, why you've set it up a certain way. So when you're going to be doing this project for the next two, three weeks, um, can you make sure that you're writing down what's going on, how it's going on, why you did it that way? And then, you know, when you guys are later talking in a follow-up meeting, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got that done. Be like, oh, where's the documentation so I can catch up on it? And if they're like, oh, well, there isn't mm-hmm. any. It'd be like, well, when I have to deal with this later, I'm going to need to know what's going on. Can you, can you 
you know, tell me how this is working. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody who actually knows how to do what they did will not have problems documenting it because, I mean, realistically, that's easy. You're going to sit down and mm-hmm. not do hard work to just write out yeah, the stuff you exactly. already know how to do. I like writing documentation. I don't have to use my brain yeah, as much. It's, it's just it's like way easier. Track stuff down and copy it's way it in, easier yeah. when you know what you're doing. So like, there's no mm-hmm. reason why you should be resistant to. Oh no, no, I can't. I don't want to write that documentation. Like, why not? That's the easy part of the job. Okay, but there's a, the kind of point there that a lot of times there's so many things to do. The documentation gets. I don't want to say ignored, but I, I want to write the documentation, but I have something else that is now the new priority one, and I have to go do it, and the documentation gets stuck on the wayside, and then after you've worked another task or two or three or however many, the the knowledge of it is faded. So now you have to do some investigative work to go back and actually write your doc. That's why you write it when you do it. Because the time yeah. it takes you to figure it out later is more than the time it would have taken you to write it in the first place. Which is mm-hmm. why documentation is part of the work. It's not mm-hmm. the, we do a job and then we document it. Documenting it is part mm-hmm. of doing the job. I agree. Because the time uh, that the company know, is going to lose yeah. later on, when you have to figure it back out, or when they hire somebody new and they have to step in and figure it out, or somebody from another team gets transferred over and they don't know anything and they've got to jump in one day because there's an emergency, they have no idea what's mm-hmm. going on, but they could follow documentation, even though they don't understand it, and work through a problem. Right. It's part of the job. Yeah. That's a management thing there. And I know we've talked about what well, we're going to have now. We have to have another episode on management because we've alluded to it several times, but I think it'll be a good topic. But a lot of it depends upon management not understanding what's expected. So, like in the tech field or like DevOps specifically, that's what I'm most familiar with. We're writing code, but we're also doing some operations. So ideally, we're taking operations that must be done by a person and making them so they're done by a machine. And just bit by bit, take all the things that a, a, a person does and make it so the person doesn't have to do it. So if someone is not familiar with this process or does not know development standards or, or just doesn't have a much of a background in it, then that's a place where our herb can live. But if the management says, well, when you do this task, you know, part of it is documentation, like you just said. That's the way I like to work. I built a workflow in Jira to kind of enforce that, that it got ignored. We had so many tasks that... Before you could actually close it, you had to go through a documentation step and post a little comment in there saying, hey, here's the documentation for the thing I've just done. That's not always going to be necessary. Like if someone says, I need to go get my account unlocked or something, you don't really need to document the process of how you did that. But generally, every task goes through like a validation phase and then a documentation phase, and then it's done. So we had something like 400 open tickets, which is entirely too many, and 120 of those were stuck in documentation phase. Just to give you an idea. So the manager of the team, or even higher up, someone has to understand development and expectations and be willing to enforce them. So I think Herb can only exist in a situation where management is clueless, or impotent, or both. I, um, have, I have seen Herbs in situations where management was not clueless. But yeah. Herb was sufficiently social and hmm. able to use like departments against each other for their benefit. Mm-hmm. Like you join, you work for X department, you work there three months and you talk about how you just, you really can't, you really can't handle it. You need to find something better, blah, blah, blah. Throw mm-hmm. up some bogus mental thing that, you know, issue that you have. And, and it's just, it's really stressing you out and you're not able to sleep at night and that's affecting your performance at work. And, Blah, blah, blah. You really need to get transferred to another team. So you get transferred mm-hmm. to another team. You're then there. Again, you're not really getting your work done that you're assigned. You're doing other things. Like, you're assigned task A, B, C, and D. But you mm-hmm. think C, D, and E are really cool. So you, like, tinker with them and spend all your time with them. And then, like, when it's the end of the month and you're like, oh, well, look, I did C, D, and E. And it's like, well, great. That wasn't your job. Like, this was your job. You did other stuff that you mm-hmm. found enjoyable. That's not how this works. Um, and you know, they ride that train for as long as they can. And then when, you know, the rubber starts to meet the road and people are like, okay, um, we have some issues here. And it's oh well, let me hop to another team to do something else. And mm-hmm. they keep kind of jumping around until they can somehow carve out what they want to do as a possibility because, well, this company just isn't providing what I can really do best for the company. And this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So they kind of wiggle their way into something that didn't exist before and then try to build a job around that that is 
outside of everyone else's main domain. So they're they're very mm. technical and competent, okay. but it's just outside of that. So what they can understand is is lessened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I think a key here would also be that no one else in the company is doing anything like it. Yeah, so that that person can kind of claim that domain and make it theirs, plant the flag, and now this is the way we do X, whatever sub niche you're planting your flag in. Yeah. In a large enough company, there's enough teams that you could just hop endlessly uh-huh. and just work your way across the company, especially in the modern era where we're all working from home or a lot of us are working from home or have the option to. You could keep that distance and there's all kinds of extra excuses and plausible deniability on why you weren't there to receive a message or why you missed that meeting or whatever. When you're in the office and you're sitting in your cube and you're very obviously not working, you're supposed to be in a meeting. There's really no defense. Like, aren't you supposed to be in a meeting? Your calendar says you're in a meeting. Like, no, I'm thinking that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. When we are at home, you've got connection problems. You've got a uh, scry- you know, crying baby, barking dog. Like, I would know anything about yeah, that. You have my internet went out suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's quite common. So there's, there's even more opportunities for fraud. Now that we're not in the same office. Now, I, I personally like working from home quite a bit because I get, uh, actually, ironically, at my current job, I get more done at the office because it's quiet mm-hmm. and there's no distractions from home. So basically, I'm going into an environment that is sterile and has everything you would like to work in because they try and make offices comfortable, but no people. And that to me is like an ideal situation. It's like driving down a highway that was built for five lanes worth of cars and it's just you and a couple others. It's like, this is fantastic. Can we do more of this? No, it's not economical. You're not going to have an entire office just to have four cubes in it. Like a really big office. But um, I get more work done at the office now. But at the same time, the, the, I, can, I can turn off for 45 minutes and actually go leave for lunch. And I'm not like trapped by the travel to and from the office and the knowledge that I'm going to come back and there's going to be another meeting. I can actually go like take a nap on the couch which is not really socially acceptable to a lot of offices. Maybe in the modern era, it more is, but uh, taking a nap underneath your desk, that's an old joke. That's not really considered socially acceptable, but at home, sure it is. Or go play on your tablet or take a bath. Anything you want, go take a break. You can do that. That gives a lot of opportunities for fraud. So I'm, I'm willing to bet that the amount of people that are now acting more like Herb have climbed the last 18 months. Maybe, maybe... Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I like to, I don't want to assume the worst of people. I imagine a lot of people that end up like her didn't intend that to happen. Maybe it starts small with a little bit of lying to fill in uh, a knowledge gap, but then the gap widens and things get more serious. You have to start lying more uh-huh. and more and more and more. And now you've built this big, fantastic lie. Like you were saying earlier, now you have to, in order to pull it back, you have to admit to people that you were lying to them. And lying to them for an extended period of time. So not only are you guilty of lying, but you trigger people's egos because they believed Uh you. And now that they know that that's not the truth, they all almost universally evaluate, could I have known the truth? What did I do wrong? Yeah. And there's the... And that causes people to feel very, very bad about that. So then they start finding ways to to put it on her even more. So like it doubles down. And then there's the line, one of my favorite lines from Nietzsche, which is, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I can never believe you. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So I imagine there's just tons of herbs out there. Um, unfortunately. And there's always going to be herbs. Um, I don't see a way around it. I bet uh, listeners have plenty of tales of herbs that they've run into at various jobs. I mean, even you left the job because of one. I, I didn't really stick around much longer after Herb left. Because uh, when he left, all the load kind of fell on the two of us and it was way too much. And they didn't really seem... Like you were in a hurry to replace Herb. How could they replace Herb? He was irreplaceable. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't last long. But, um, I imagine listeners have lots of tales. And I, I, you know, I can share more about what Herb was doing or hear your tales. I think it'd be really fascinating to hear them. I didn't intend for this to turn into like a gripe session, but I guess I needed to get it off my no, chest. That's, that's fine. Uh, you can, you can gripe away. I've been, yeah, owe, you owe uh, me another good rant, and this doesn't qualify, so oh, just, I still am owed oh. a rant. Okay, well, I'll have to think about what I really want to rant on, but it's probably not going to be something germane to our typical material. Huh? Like ranting on some obscure facet of D&D, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if D&D anyway. really falls into 
Well, maybe maybe we should have like an episode where we're just deliberately not talking about tech stuff or open source and just kind of solicit ideas from listeners of off-topic things they would like for us to talk well, about. Well, they kind of, they kind of already know. have. They still want to know about my house. Oh, oh uh, no, you don't. No, you really don't. <laughs> house of Horrors. We'll just it's leave it not- at that. Actually, no, I can't leave it at that because that's the, oh, I've got to see the House right, of Horrors yeah. now. There's just like, yeah, I got to see how, how JT lives. It's not actually horror. But, it's just. No, it's not. It's just what it is. It's, it's not suitable for the tasks which you're trying to AKA use it for. AKA living? Living yeah. in it, yes, specifically. Yeah. If it were just uh, storage, it would be better. But you're living in yeah. it, too. So. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I'd, I'd really like to hear from listeners. Herb stories. I think we should just kind of hang on to We'll just attach the label Herb to the frauds in, in our presence. Sounds good. You know? So we'll just refer to Herbs in the future. I think that's great. So, do we have any uh, listener feedback or anything? Uh, we do, but I don't have it pulled out right now. Um, okay. Yeah. So One of them is, we'll is actually really interesting. Um, it's about the oh. uh, Upper Creek statement. Um, so uh-huh. I, need to, I need to dig that out. So we'll probably have that in the, okay. uh, in the next episode. Um, okay. Well, very yeah. good. Um, and yeah, right, listeners, send us your yeah, feedback. Yeah, and we probably should do another episode on just imposter syndrome from the other angle, because it is so mm, common. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, I, yeah, this is kind of a more negative episode. We can do the the, uh, the yin and the yang kind mm-hmm. of thing, so we can have a positive like how to address if you feel that way. Because I, I I also would expect that some of the listeners are listening to this and maybe they might feel a little bit self conscious. But uh, there's let's let's draw the line between fraud and imposter. I do like that you delineated that as imposter. If you feel like an imposter, there's things that we can do to address it. So I guess we'll talk about that in a future episode, maybe the next episode. Yeah, that works for me. All right. Well, very good. We have many ways to contact us. You can reach out to JT at mindrepmedia.com if you wish to email him directly. There's contacts on the Fireside, and there's also Twitter feed. So I don't think we're actually doing anything. You could send messages to either JT or myself. Lots of ways to contact us. So let us know what you think. Any closing thoughts, JT? Uh, Be excellent to each other.